you very much tonight. Well, take your Bibles and join me in turning to Luke chapter number 23. And while you're turning, we'll dismiss the children, ages 4 years old through 3rd grade, I think, something like that. We're in the ballpark. I want to thank all of you who are working with the kids this week. I think you're probably rotating that out some. And uh, we preachers, we appreciate that. Uh, sometimes we really don't see the importance of what we're doing when we're working with children when it comes to the Bible. But remember this, Paul told Timothy, and that from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. That's why I don't dare belittle a children's Sunday school teacher, or a parent for that matter. Why? Because you have a great opportunity in teaching children the Bible. And uh, there'll be a martyr's crown for those ladies that taught those hyperactive uh, kids in Sunday school and wondered if anything ever stuck with them. Uh, More probably stuck with them than you think. There was a kid I used to teach in an academy Bible class, and every time I saw him, he looked like this. And there'd be times I'd just purposefully ask him a question in the middle of his wandering, thinking I could catch him and teach him how to pay attention. And every time I asked him the question, he just gave me the answer. He'd spit it out and then he'd... And I just shrugged. I said, Lord, uh, that kid's getting it somehow. I don't know how, but if he's getting it, then uh, that's a good thing. It's good to see you tonight. As you head out this evening, I've set out some information uh, about Ambassador Baptist College. It's on a table as you head out. I'll tell you what, your lobby area, you could use a little more space, couldn't you? Uh, This church, people love to fellowship, they love to talk, and you need the space to do it. Sunday morning, you're just sort of working your way down the hallway there, and I was expecting to see some of you down at the servant suite, uh, just fellowshipping for a while that far down. And uh, But anyway, out there, you'll see the table. It'll be to your left as you head out. Uh, has uh, some brochures about Ambassador. Uh, I looked at it before the service. If for nothing else, get it, because Christian Garcia's picture is on the front of this brochure. You might get his parents to sign it for you in his stead. Uh, but the, in that brochure, it tells you about the, uh, a lot of the foundation stones of the, of the college, what we're all about. A lot of people don't understand this, but as a Bible college, a Bible college is a little bit different than a Christian liberal arts college. And here's one of the reasons why. Uh, When somebody graduates with a Bible degree from a Christian liberal arts college, they'll do well to have 32 to 36 hours of Bible. Uh, The truth is, through the years, the more liberal arts oriented our ministry training has become, the less Bible we've required. When somebody graduated from the Moody Bible Institute in the early 1900s, do you know how many hours of Bible they had? More than 90. And now it's 32. And uh, so when Brother Comfort started the college, he said to himself, what better book can you have to be the core curriculum for ministry training than the Bible? And that's why we take our students from Genesis to Revelation, book by book in the classroom. And uh, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaketh the rock into pieces? Uh, in our day and time, with more skepticism about the Bible, I don't think the answer is less Bible. I think the answer is more. And that's one of the strongest suits of our college. We are a Bible college, and we're unapologetically that. Uh, we have a ministry focus. You know one of the reasons I'm here this week? Now, the primary reason is as an evangelist. 
uh, seeking to be a blessing to Foster Story Baptist Church. But I'll tell you another reason I'm here, because God is looking for young men who will be pastors, evangelists, missionaries. I know some of you shake your heads and say, there's no way that uh, God's going to use some of these people. They're just flat out crazy. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, God has reached down and picked up crazier and used them. Uh, you never know who's around you. And so if you're a teenager here tonight, you say, God has called me into ministry. Listen to me. A call to ministry is a call to prepare. And for me, one of the blessings I had as a student was being around like-minded people who had a desire to serve the Lord, uh, talked with roommates who were dreaming to go into a mission field, leading a choir, whatever the case may be. And it's a blessing to see them doing that now. And so if you'd like to learn more about the school, stop by the table. Uh, you'll see a brochure. Pick that up. And uh, you'll learn about the distinctives of the college. Also, uh, there's a, a pamphlet that I've authored entitled, Why Consider Bible College? Now, I'm not sure what pastor tells you. And so whatever pastor tells you is right and whatever I say is wrong if I contradict him, all right? But I'm going to tell you this. I believe that every teenager ought to at least consider a year of Bible college. It won't hurt you, I promise. Somebody says, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, all the more, why don't you just take a year of Bible college? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You want to see the way clearly? How about the flashlight of the Bible? You can't improve on that. And it's a beautiful thing when you see a young person come to Ambassador and they shrug their shoulders. They They say, I have no clue what God wants me to do. And the next thing you know, they leave and head out. Uh, Four years later, and God's given them clear direction, many times to serve the Lord in ministry. Other times it may be in other capacities, but I've seen it over and over and over again where the Bible uh, changes the lives and the directions of young people. A couple of music recordings back there, one entitled Near, Still Near. The other one is our newest one, Calvary Covers It All. I'll mention that because Aaron Robertson sings on it. Uh, Aaron is the first tenor in the quartet that sings uh, six or seven songs on that. There's seven solos that I sing uh, on there, but uh, we'll mention more about that later. But those two recordings, Near, Still Near, there are ten uh, songs on that that I sing. Uh, Ship Ahoy, Ten Thousand Angels, Follow Me, some other old revival favorites. And we'll mention more about the table later. But as you're out before the service and after the service this week, I really want you... Uh, to learn more about Ambassador and pray for us intelligibly. And those uh, things that are back there will help you to do that. Luke chapter 23 tonight. And before I read our text, I want to make an admission. Here's the admission. I'm afraid that we preachers don't preach on the cross nearly as much as we should. I say that as an evangelist tonight. I don't have the responsibility that a pastor has in feeding the flock of God. The pastor sometimes finds himself in various books. You can't always stay in the gospel. But you know, uh, in one of the gospels, but as a preacher, we ought to always have the cross in the back of our minds, no matter where we're at in the scripture. You know, I have found that when times get tough in my life, all I have to do is just start looking at the cross. When I begin to think that I've really paid a lot to serve the Lord, all I have to do is look at the cross. When my heart gets a little bit cold and I start not paying attention to what God has for me, if I'd stop just a moment and gaze at the cross, God has a way of getting my attention. And so tonight I'd like to take just a moment 
for you to take a glimpse at a part of the cross, not in its entirety, and my prayer that God would use it to draw us closer to Himself and to revive us. And so with that being said, Luke chapter 23, verse number 34 is our text tonight. The Bible says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted His raiment and cast lots. I'll never forget, years ago, my aunt called me. She called me to tell me that my uncle, his real name was Louie, but his nickname was Pee-wee. She called me to tell me that my uncle Pee-wee was in poor health, that they had just diagnosed him with cancer. They had no idea the extent of it. And she said, Alton, if you want to see him, you better get here soon. I owed a great debt of gratitude to my uncle Pee-wee. When my dad passed away when I was 15 years old... He was the man that I called shortly before my dad passed away. And he and his wife were the first two at our house after my dad had passed away. A man who every time I saw him at Christmas would give me a kind gift and always wish it was more. And I said, Uncle Pee Wee, you don't have to do that. Perhaps the most memorable conversation I ever remember having with my Uncle Pee Wee was one day after a Christmas gathering, as I was walking out, he signaled for me to come into the kitchen. And he said, Alton, I know you've been concerned about this for years, but he said, I just want you to know I'm ready to meet the Lord now. He had gotten saved. But I'll never forget the day. I had a Sunday open in my schedule, and I told my Aunt June, I said, I'll drive two hours away, I'll go to church somewhere there that morning, and then I'll stop by the house that afternoon. And I did. And so after eating a meal, I went to my uncle's house, and as I came, my aunt met me at the door. She escorted me through the kitchen. And when I walked into the living room, I was shocked at what I saw. Although my uncle was a short man, he was a vivacious man, he was a character, as some of you would say. But that day, I saw him sitting in a blue vinyl leather chair, his eyes fixed straight ahead, and jaundice had already set in. And I sat down, and I felt rather helpless as a preacher and as a, as a nephew just trying to talk to him. You're at a loss as to what to say. You don't want to say, well, how are you doing today? You already know how he's doing. And so I began to try to strike up conversation. And to be honest, for the first five to ten minutes, it was as if my uncle didn't hear a word I said. And finally, he broke out of a trance and he looked at me and he said, Alton, I want you to preach my funeral. Well, that's another one of those phrases that's somewhat awkward for a preacher at times. And as I did in other occasions, I said, listen, Uncle Pee Wee, I'll tell you what, if you live to be a hundred, it won't hurt me a bit, and I'd be ready to do that. But listen, in the time being, I want you to take care of yourself and get well. I stayed for another few minutes, and I left, and my heart broke for my aunt, for my uncle, and his family. It was just a few days later. My cousin called me on the phone, the youngest of the two that my aunt and uncle had, and my cousin called me up and he was weeping. This, was a, this is a gentleman, I'm telling you, he's a man's man. 
I used to think we just had rednecks in North Carolina, but we have them in Michigan too. I'm telling you, this fellow here, I mean, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing light about him. He's a man's man. And my cousin called me the first words out of his mouth as he said, Dad's, Dad passed away. When I heard that, I expected it, but my heart sank. And I told my cousin, I said, listen, I'll be up there as soon as I can. I went up to visit with my family and I talked to my cousin. And he said, Alton, he said, you're never going to believe this. He said, before my dad passed away, you saw the shape that he was in. Dad was hardly responsive, but about 30 minutes or so or an hour before he passed away, all of a sudden his senses became renewed and his mind was as clear as a bell and he called all of us into the bedroom. And he said, Dad looked at each member of the family and he told us what was on his heart. He looked at his wife and talked about how much that he enjoyed their life together. How much that he appreciated her. He looked at his oldest child, the daughter, and said, and said kind words to her. He looked at my cousin and said words to him. And then he even looked at his fiancée who was beside him. They were getting married in two weeks. He said, Tracy, he said... I'm sorry I won't be there for the wedding, but I'm so excited that you could be my daughter-in-law. And my cousin said, Alton, when all of that was said, he said, Dad shut his eyes and just a few minutes later he passed on into eternity. As I look across this room tonight, I understand there's probably some people you've heard last words and you know the importance of them. You know the importance of them based on the one who hears them and also the importance of the one who says them. And do you know tonight, ladies and gentlemen, whether you realized it or not, within the last five minutes, you heard the words of a dying man. You say, I did, you did. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Tonight, I want to remind you of something. You can't be like Jesus if you're not willing to forgive. I believe that one of the greatest hindrances to revival today in Christianity, and I'm not saying it exaggerating, I believe this with all of my heart, I believe a lack of forgiveness and bitterness is one of the greatest obstacles to revivals and independent Baptist churches. Now, I realize that the subject is sensitive tonight. You say, preacher, this is none of your business. What's going on in my life? And I would say to you, it may not be my business, but I can assure you it is God's business. And I know that it is not God's will for you to live a miserable life enslaved by your lack of forgiveness. And so I want to remind you of this tonight. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to learn to forgive. And I'd like to show you tonight three very simple things from this passage. And I remind you, if you leave here tonight, and there's aught between you and any other person on the face of God's earth, and you choose to keep that aught in your heart, listen to me, don't waste your time praying. Don't waste your time asking for God to bless you when you're not willing to deal with the aught that's in your heart. You say, preacher, that's awful strong. Well, the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 
I'm not trying to be harsh with you tonight. I'm trying to be biblical. You say tonight, I have some things in my heart. I have some things in my life. I have some relationships that are breached. I have some people that have hurt me and there's feelings in my heart towards them. I want you to listen to what Jesus said and I want you to see the context in which He said it and leave here knowing if you want to be like Jesus, forgive. And so let me show you three things tonight. Number one, I want you to see the background of this cry of forgiveness. You say, what do you mean tonight? I mean, what happened to Jesus before He said this? It's one thing to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But listen to me, it's another thing to totally comprehend what Jesus experienced before He ever said it. And when you understand what Jesus experienced before He said it, it makes these words all the more powerful tonight. You say, what did Jesus experience? Well, He experienced the disloyalty of His disciples. Do you know for three years Jesus poured His life into twelve men? When He would go about and teaching and doing miracles, Jesus took those people with Him and they became, they had an intimate bond. They had an intimate relationship. Now, one of them, His name Judas Iscariot, would eventually betray Him and the other eleven would flee. You live your life long enough, you know what you'll find? You'll find that there'll be people who betray you. Right now, some of you younger people, you say, well, I'm 12 years old. Listen, for you right now, life is skipping rocks and throwing dirt clods. But I'm telling you, when you grow older, a few things happen along the way. And there's some of you tonight, you've experienced such disloyalty. I mean, you received disloyalty from positions and people that you would have never expected it. Luke 22, verse 47, And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. It's one thing to betray a man, but it's another thing to do it with a kiss. Maybe it would have been better had Judas just brought the back of his hand and slapped Jesus than to betray him with a kiss. And that was the way that Judas signaled signaled to all of the accusers that this man is the one that needs to be arrested. This man is the one that needs to be crucified. I'm talking to individuals here tonight. Listen to me. In some junctures of your life, you've had people betray you and they did it in a ruthless fashion. But I'll assure you, nobody's ever betrayed you like Judas betrayed Jesus. As if that wasn't bad enough. Mark 14, verses 48 through 50, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily in the temple with you teaching, and you took me not. But the Scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook Him and fled. Not only did Judas betray Him with a kiss, but ladies and gentlemen, every last one of those disciples that watched Him feed 5,000, that watched Him heal the lame, that watched Him do the miraculous, listen to me, they left Him. 
cold in the dust. You ever been deserted before? You know, when you talk to a lot of people through the years, you learn a lot of stories. There's some people, they're deserted by parents. I'm not saying that's a light thing tonight. Some people wrestle with that. They say, well, I've been deserted by parents. I've been deserted by friends. Listen, before you get too steeped in your self-pity tonight, and I want to say this compassionately, I'm just saying this. You just remember there was somebody who had everybody who forsook him. Judas betrays him. The disciples run. And then there is one, his name is Peter. Some of you relate very well with Peter. You are outspoken. You speak your mind. And sometimes you overextend yourself in confidence. Peter was such a man. He said, oh, I'll never, I will never betray you. But before it was over with, the cock crew. And the Bible tells us in Mark 14, verse 69, And as a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they stood by, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean. And thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he, speaking of Peter, began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. Peter went to the point where he cursed to deny Jesus. You say tonight, I have experienced disloyalty. I'm saying Jesus knew what it was like to experience disloyalty. But even after experiencing that, when He looked upon a lost and a dying world, do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't say, I hate Peter. He didn't say, I can't stand Judas. He didn't say those 11 rascals that left after Judas, they ought to all be shot and hung. But I'm talking to some here tonight. You say, that's the way I feel when I've been betrayed. He not only experienced the disloyalty of the disciples, he experienced the hatred of the religious leaders. The Bible says he came into his own and his own received him not. Jesus comes to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus comes. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And He is rejected. And do you know what that crowd did? In rejecting Jesus, they had to conjure up people to lie and give false witness so that they might convict Him in a kangaroo court. Couldn't even find real substantive accusations. Why? Because just like Pilate said and the crowd disregarded, I find no fault in him. Those religious leaders hated him. The very ones that should have come and embraced him were the ones that disdained him. And when Jesus hung on that cross, instead of Him pronouncing judgment upon every last person that God would destroy the world and destroy every religious person, He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And then Jesus experienced the cowardice and the brutality of the Romans. You say, cowardice, what do you mean? I'm talking about him being passed back and forth between Herod and Pilate. Hot potato. You deal with it. You deal with it. They're more concerned about political ramifications than they are justice. They were cowards. They weren't interested in doing what was right. They were wanting to please the people. And that's why Pilate is still washing his hands tonight. Still washing his hands of the blood of Jesus. But he made such a horrible mistake because he was willing to content the people rather than to do that which was right. And those Romans subjected Jesus to a brutality unlike anything you've ever seen. Oh, people cry about injustice today and there's no doubt there's injustice that happens. But ladies and gentlemen, there's never been an injustice on the face of God's earth that was ever more sorrowful and pitiful than the injustice that Jesus took that day. He was stripped naked. They spit in His face. They gave him a scarlet robe, a crown of thorns. They mocked him. They said, if thou be the Son of God, save thyself. The two thieves, at one time, they're both railing on him in accusations. And the Bible tells us that they crucified him. They drove nails into his hands and into his feet. And after experiencing all of that, instead of bringing hellfire and damnation judgment upon the Roman government, he cries on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know what I'm asking you to do tonight? This is what I'm asking you to do. Stop looking at the injustice that's been done to you. Stop tonight feeling how you feel long enough to look at the cross. And I'm asking you to be like Jesus. I want to ask you, what's been done to you? You say, oh, there have been people that have been disloyal to me. You say, people have been unfair. Boy, that word unfair is such a subjective word. You say, somebody's been unfaithful. Somebody's been talking behind my back. You say, somebody has said unkind words. There have been some people that have assumed my motives and they assumed wrong and they've slandered my character. They've spread rumors about me. What am I supposed to do? Just take it? I'm just saying be like Jesus. And instead of having a heart of vengeance... Have a heart that says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Folks, in our day and time, a lot of times we knock the millennial generation for a lot of their shortcomings, and we harp on the millennials and everything from work ethic to entitlement, you name it. But I'm going to tell you, they had to learn it from another generation. I'm talking about my generation. I'm talking about your generation. But I'm afraid one of the things the millennial generation has learned from us is how to hold grudges and how to bury people in the ground just talking all kinds of evil about somebody. And I'm talking about a hatred that boils in your heart. That ought to be foreign to a Christian. 
But there'll be no revival as long as that attitude stews in our hearts. You see the background of the cry of forgiveness. But number two tonight, I want you to see the timing of the cry of forgiveness. It's the very first word of the verse. Then said Jesus. Let me ask you a question tonight. When is the time to forgive? You know what, I've talked, and I've talked for years to people in churches and I've had people sometimes sit down and they'd tell me a story like this. They'd say, Brother Bill, it took me 20 years to forgive that person. They'd say something like this, Brother Bill, it took me years to get over that. It took me years. You know, listen tonight, the time to forgive somebody is not 20 years from now. I'm telling you, it's soon after the offense happens. That's when you ought to forgive. Jesus didn't wait 10,000 years into eternity to utter that phrase, after all of this comes to culmination. And shortly after he experiences these things, instead of waiting, it says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I love the word forgive. It's a tender word. I love tender words, don't you? Harsh words, boy, they hurt sometimes. But I'll tell you, about, there's no way you can say the word forgive without there being tenderness in the tone. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You understand what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, listen, you better forgive because you remember Christ forgave you. You remember the day you were forgiven? Well, I'm going to tell you what. The day I got saved, if you'd come to me as a 12-year-old boy after I got saved, put your hands on my shoulder and said, Listen, now the Bible says that you're seated in the heavenlies and you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I would have looked at you and said, Huh? You'd be like, Oh, yeah, read the book of Ephesians. You're seated in the heavenlies. I'd say, Man, that's foreign language to me. Not many Bible scholars at the moment of salvation. And I'll be honest, if you'd come up to me and you'd said, what happened to you? I'll tell you what, I think about the only things I would have known to say as a new believer was I got saved and I've been forgiven. You see how elementary that is? Man alive, if you say you're saved tonight, you've got enough sense. You may not have sat through one Faith Bible Institute class on soteriology. You're like, what disease is that? It's not a disease. Soteriology is actually the study of salvation. And I like studying salvation because the more I study it, the more I learn about what I got that day. But you don't have to be a rocket science. Listen to me. If you're here tonight and you name the name of Christ, you say you've been born again. You know what forgiveness is. And I'm telling you, there's some of you in here, you are some awful big sinners. 
You say, how do you know that? Nobody's told me the scoop, but in an auditorium like this, I'm going to tell you, there were some of you in this room here, before you got saved, you made such a mess of your life that the world would say there's no way that God could ever straighten anything out in you. And God reached down in His mercy and He saved you. And He didn't hold you to the guilt that the world wanted you to experience. And He made you a new creature. And you've gone forward with purpose. And you can make it in life. And God has forgiven you. How dare you not forgive somebody else? Some of you tonight, you say, well, I got saved when I was five. I didn't sell drugs. Worst thing I ever did was I stole from a cookie jar. I don't have one of these testimonies that you know, God didn't rest. I, I, I talked with a man just recently, two weeks ago, before he got saved, he was responsible for flying $8 million of cocaine into the state of Wisconsin. He got saved, went to an RU program at that church. It's amazing to see how his life has been transformed. But you're a kid here and you're like, I, I got saved when I was four. I stole from my sister. Hit my brother. I'm going to tell you something tonight. If you're here and you got saved when you were a kid, I want you to know your salvation is just as glorious. You know why? Because God saved you from all that other stuff. Listen to me, wherever you're at, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And listen to me, if you've been saved, I don't care, it's just for a short time, you've got enough sense to know what it means to be forgiven. And God says, listen... Forgive as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, when I hear Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, it reminds me of a New Testament martyr, his name's Stephen. Stephen is about to be stoned for preaching a very, very hard message to a very hard-hearted crowd. And the Bible says in Acts 7 and verse 59, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. You know where I think Stephen got that heartbeat from? I don't think he got it. From the world or the local paper. He got it from the example of Jesus. Now why aren't you willing to have a heart like Jesus in this matter? Why is it tonight that you're not willing to forgive? Why is it that every time that name is mentioned, you choose to hold on to it and hinder revival and God's blessing in your own life? Well, I'll tell you what, I've had some people, they'll say, say I'll tell you, Brother Bill, why I'm not ready to forgive. And, you know, every once in a while, church members can get a little touchy with the preacher. A little feisty. 
There have been times I've talked with somebody and they were wrestling with something in their heart and they'd look at me and say, I want you to know something. You've never had anything happen to you like what happened to me. Now, there's really two answers to that. Number one, just because a guy's a preacher didn't mean he had a perfect childhood and you assume way too much. But number two, in the vast majority of the cases... I would have to look at that person and say, you know what, you're right. Now that really throws people off when you say that. They say, listen to me, you've never, nobody's ever done to you what has been done to me. And then they go a step further and they say, and you have no right to tell me what to do. Now that's where they cross the line. Because when somebody crosses that line, you know what I want to tell them? I want to say, all right, just listen to me for one minute, and then you walk away. Here it is. When's the last time somebody nailed you to a cross? When's the last time they pressed a crown of thorns upon your head and made you bleed? When's the last time they blindfolded you and they plucked out your beard and they took the palms of their hands and they slapped you on the face and with a nasty snarl they said, Prophesy unto us, who smote thou? When's the last time somebody drove nails through your hands and your feet? And let me say, when's the last time you hung on an old rugged cross naked and emaciated? with your mother weeping at your feet until there's no more tears. Have you ever had that happen to you? And I mention all that to impress every one of us. Listen to me, if you're a child of God, you know this is true. Nobody has ever done anything worse to you than what we did to Jesus. Now, I say that tonight with full awareness that awful things happen to good people. I'm not making light of that. You say, preacher, these were things that I had no control of. Listen, I'm not here to say that you're the one to blame tonight. I'm not saying that at all. I'm telling you, they're good people that sit in churches and they've had things happen to them and they've wrestled. Listen, I'm not here to say that you're the one to blame tonight. I'm just saying that nothing happened any worse to us than what happened to Jesus. And therefore, listen to me, we've got to follow His example. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Somebody else will say, well, I'm going to tell you why I'm not forgiving that punk. I'm not forgiving him because he's just going to turn around and do it again. Now, on the surface, that reasoning sounds like it holds water. It's amazing how creative we lean into our own understanding. We sound like we're intelligent sometimes. When we're really not. Somebody says, I'll tell you why I'm not going to forgive him or I'm not going to forgive her because they're just going to turn around and do it to me again. And since they're going to act that way, I'm not doing it. You know, that sounds spiritual until you start reading the Bible. Do you know Jesus spoke directly to that excuse? 
You say, He did not. All right, listen to me. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? When I get to heaven, I'd like to go to Peter and I'd say, Peter, how did you ask Jesus that question? Peter, and when I read that story, I think had it been me and I'd been as proud of a pe- as a peacock, I would have walked up to Jesus and said, Now, Jesus, how oft should I forgive my brother? I mean, seven times? That's a lot. That's spiritual. You know what Jesus said? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. My brother sin against me shall forgive him seven times. Jesus said, try 70 times seven. For you mathematicians out there, you say, that's 490 times. I'm keeping record. (laughs) Why don't you put your pen down and don't you miss what Jesus was trying to say. He was saying, listen, it may be repeated hurt, but it needs repeated forgiveness. You know, I meet people in churches, they live in bondage. They don't live in bondage to the devil, they live in bondage to bitterness. By their own choice, they choose to be enslaved to a person or a circumstance when God has fully intended for them to live free. And I'm convinced that we're not going to have revival until we stop acting like how we feel and what other people tell us and we start acting like Jesus. And my friend, there may be somebody here tonight, you say, Preacher, I've struggled with all kinds of awful things. And you say, I could never forgive. And the reason why you can never forgive is because you've never experienced God's forgiveness yourself. There's some people, they go through life holding grudges and they've never experienced God's forgiveness. Listen to me, the most liberating day of your life will be when you escape your sin through the blood of Christ and you place your faith in Jesus and your sins are forgiven. Let me tell you something, that's the most freeing day of your life. And once you realized how much Jesus forgave you, you know what, with God's help you can forgive others. So number one tonight, we see the background. Number two, we see the timing. But number three, I want to talk to you about the blessing of forgiveness. And this is where we end. Now I want to run smack dab, that's a good southern term, smack dab in the face of what the world teaches tonight. It upsets me when the world's philosophy rings more loudly in the ears of believers in the Bible and Bible principle. And I'm going to tell you what the world is screaming at you tonight. The world is screaming at you. You've got every right to be bitter and unforgiving. You have every right to be hateful and destroy yourself. That's what the world says. But I'm going to tell you there's a true blessing in forgiveness. You say, what is that blessing? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, or excuse me, yeah, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 3. It says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You're here tonight, you say, I have experienced great opposition. I have experienced great wrongdoing. Listen to me. When you experience it, and you respond like Jesus, listen to me, 
When you choose to forgive, you choose to be like Jesus. There's no better compliment that can be paid to a person. Ma'am, you're like, well, he said my dress looks nice tonight. Well, that's good. I'm glad your husband's complimentary. He ought to do that more than once a year. (laughs) And maybe, sir, she looks at you and say you smell good. And for some of you, that's a real change. (laughs) But listen to me, there's no better compliment than when somebody looks at you and says, listen, that reminds me of Jesus. You want to be able to pillow your head in peace? I know some people, listen, there's things that have been going on in their souls for years. They're not willing to let go. And tonight, says God says, I want to give you a good night of rest. I want to give you peace in your heart. And you, want to, you need to be like Jesus. But the world says you've got every right to tell the world what happened to you. And you have every right to be mean. I don't know of a greater example of forgiveness in the Old Testament than what happens between David and Saul. Listen to this story in closing. The people in Israel are singing, Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul liked that verse, but he hated verse number 2. When they started singing, but David had killed his tens of thousands. That rubbed him raw. Somebody has shown up, the king of Israel. Jonathan brings his buddy David home. The Jonathan being Saul's son, and Saul doesn't like David, and he starts tossing his javelin at David, trying to kill him. And he was so eaten up with rage and jealousy that he took his band of men and went all the way down to the desert. Brother Judd was telling me about being in Israel. Went all the way down to En Gedi and in those hills he's chasing David and David's hiding in caves and he's living like a beast. And Saul just wants to kill him. And Saul, it's like he's so double-minded. He has a chance to capture David. He misses it. David has a chance to kill him. Saul says, oh David, you're right and I'm wrong. And then he goes right back to trying to kill David again. You're talking about driving somebody crazy. Saul was the epitome of inconsistency and he had hatred and jealousy in his heart. And he felt that way about David until David died. Or excuse me, until Saul died. He was killed. And Jonathan, his son too. Now, with all of that background, listen, now you're David. You've been elevated to be the king, and now you're speaking at Saul's funeral. What would you say? Some of you get up there and say, I'll tell you, my mama said, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say nothing at all. That's how most of you would have politically answered that. There's some of you firebrands, you said, I'd have gotten up there and I'd said, I'll tell you, that low-down king, I'll tell you, he may have been the king of Israel, but he wasn't following God. That guy tried to kill me. He was so eaten up with jealousy and he hurt me so much and I want the world to know how low he is. Listen to me, that attitude that is propagated by the world is so foreign to Christianity. You know what David did when he stands at Saul's funeral? 
He stands before them in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 20. Listen to what he says. He says, tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. He said, don't you dare say anything about the death of Saul, because I don't want the enemies of God to rejoice. But that is a totally different attitude than what the world teaches people to do when they have bitterness in their heart. They want to let the world know about their injustices. Listen to me, I'm not talking about covering sin. I'm not talking about fostering illegal activity. But I'm just saying when you let hatred ruin your heart so much so that you just tell the world, I'm going to tell you what, you hurt the testimony of God. David said, don't you tell it to Gath. Then he starts talking about Saul and Jonathan and listen to what he says. He said, The bow of Jonathan turned not back and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Now here, this will blow your mind. He says, Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. What? You're out of your head. Saul's pleasant in his life. You say, that man's a fool. No, I'm going to tell you what that man was. He was a forgiver. And he went to his grave not hating King Saul and was able to live free because of it. You want to live free? Do you, you know, people talk about freedom. Let me tell you, there's no freedom outside of Christ and Christ-likeness. So tonight, I just ask you, is there a relationship, is there an individual tonight? And God's dealing in your heart. And you say, well, if I choose to forgive them, they're just going to do it again. Notice the end of verse 34. After Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted His raiment and cast lots. Those words didn't mean very much to those Roman soldiers. And you know what? You can just expect people to act like people. But tonight God's asking you to be like Christ. It may be that one of the greatest hindrances to a mighty working of God in our midst this week is that people have failed to have the same spirit as Christ and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I'm just saying, there's nothing better we can do tonight than to be like Christ. And it is impossible to be like Christ if you're not willing to forgive. Now we must make our choice. Let's bow our heads together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask tonight, how many of you in this room would say this? You'd say, Preacher, there was a time in my life where I trusted Christ and I know that my sins have been forgiven. I'm not saying you've been perfect since then. I'm not saying that you've not been without your faults. 
But do you remember the day that you trusted Christ and your sins were forgiven? You placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I wonder how many tonight you would say, Brother Beal, I can raise my hand with the redeemed and I can say tonight, I know that I've been saved and I have experienced God's forgiveness and there's absolutely no doubt in my mind about that. If you can say that, would you slip your hand up and keep it up just a moment? Slip it up and keep it up just a moment. Don't be ashamed of it if that's happened in your life. All right, thank you. You may put them down. I've met people that have a hard time forgiving because they've never been forgiven themselves. And that may be the case of some here tonight. I wonder if there'd be some here and you'd say, Preacher, I've heard the message tonight. I look back in my life, I can't tell you of a time where I trusted Christ, where I was forgiven. I sit here tonight, I can't say that my sins have been forgiven. And it may be the reason that you're having a hard time forgiving others is because you've never experienced God's forgiveness yourself. You say, Alton, I'm here tonight and one of two things is true. I'm either not sure I know that I'm not saved. I can't say that I have really experienced God's forgiveness. And tonight, I see my need for it. And you'd say, Alton, would you pray for me tonight about this matter of salvation? If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Anybody like that tonight as I look across this room? Anybody like that tonight as I look across the auditorium? All right, here's my last question. I wonder how many here tonight you'd say this. You'd say, Brother Bill, I know I'm saved. There's no doubt about it. But tonight, God has spoken to my heart about this matter of forgiveness. And I want to live free of bitterness. Tonight, I want to remove the obstacles in my life. And tonight, I choose to meet that relationship or that circumstance head on. And I know that tonight... I need to make the conscious choice to forgive. And with God's help, I need to do that tonight. And I don't want to be an obstacle to revival. God's dealt in my heart about this matter. You'd say, Brother Bill, would you pray for me? If that's you as a Christian, would you slip your hand up tonight? Thank you. Thank you. Several here tonight. You may put them down. Anybody else along with these that have already raised their hands? You'd say, Preacher, would you pray for me? God has put His finger on my heart tonight. God knows the need. Would you pray for me? Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Now, I want to say something before I pray. When I look across and I see a brother or a sister acknowledge a struggle in this area in their lives, I don't look at them and think, that's a weak brother, that's a weak sister. I'm going to tell you what I do think. I think that's an honest one. And I'm happy to tell you tonight, That if you make the choice to be like Jesus and you leave this place like Him, you'll have no regret. And I hope tonight that you'll follow the Lord's leading in your life. If you're able, would you join me in standing tonight? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you join me in 